0: I think that nowadays, especially in Europe, the pressure of the incumbents is huge. The only thing is the question of time frame.
1: That is Elena Bau. You may have seen her bring startups, innovators, and incumbents together at the business booster events of Eno Energy. This is Net Zero, a podcast by the Florence School of Regulation about the energy transition and climate change. I am Joana Freitas. And in this series, I'm inviting myself into the minds of some truly insightful people with very different perspectives. Today, we are joined by Elena Bau, Executive Board Member and Innovation Director at InEnergy to discuss what is the role of startups in the energy transition and climate change. Elena, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joanna. It's a pleasure. So, the energy sector is going through a period of unprecedented opportunities for innovation and growth in lots of different areas like renewables, storage, mobility, demand response, and more. These new opportunities are opening doors for startups, entrepreneurs. What do you see as the major trends on clean tech startups? And
0: what are the most disruptive projects you know? That's a difficult question, Joanna, because, you know, we have the largest portfolio of sustainable energy startups. So this is that we have, uh, we are supporting more than 300 startups. And you know, this is like a mother with the kids, you're asking me, which is the most beautiful <laughs> one? I don't know. I mean, indeed, indeed, um we don't have a focus in terms of technology. So the good thing about Energy is that we are investing in sustainable energy as a whole. So this means that there are, different startups that they are trying to solve different problems, okay? Mm-hmm. The most disruptive one, I don't know if they are the most disruptive one, there are many, but I would just mention two examples that are very close to us as a citizen, no? As a run-of-the-mill citizens, what things that we are working that it could have an impact on, on our families tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So the one thing is, you know, that uh, at least this, this, uh, this summer has been really hot, I mean, and yes. uh, years ago, we were very worried about the heating and we are still, but now we are really worried also about the high temperatures that we are having. So what about if we have a company that can make a snow at 20 degrees? Interesting. And the technology, I mean, it's something that is scalable to prepare, I mean, um, green cold so this means that it's going to be a green air conditioning, let's, let's call it. It's going to be okay. green coal with less carbon footprint. So that is something that I think that it's going to change also our lives in the sense that we're, we are going to have really comfort, nice temperature without contaminating in a more sustainable way and cheaper which is something that it is great if it is cheaper. So we are having the two one of the two key things that we are looking in in our solutions is a question of price, reduce the cost of energy and at the same time more sustainable solutions. And the, another another example is a uh, hard hyperloop. And it, this is uh, something that for me it is it is I, I would love to to have it. We have a, mo- a problem with the mobility and we are, now we are Thinking about new ways to have uh, to solve our mobility problems in our cities. So one of the possibilities, because it's not the only one, is a company. For instance, we have Heart Hyperloop, and what they have designed is a kind of tube. Okay, sounds very futuristic. It sounds very futuristic, <laughs> but it's reality, you can. I mean, you can you can see it in the in the exhibition. And interesting, the interesting thing is that this um, saves. of the energy in comparison with an aeroplane. And this means that it goes to a speed that Madrid-Barcelona, it could be just 20 minutes. So, how we can materialize that? Think, for instance, in in an airport like Schiphol. Schiphol has a problem. They cannot grow more. And they are already, they are quite busy. So, we are going to go on having flights and aeroplanes, long distance. But what about for the medium type of distance? Instead of using aeroplanes, using flights, they can use this kind of system like hard hyperloop is proposing. And indeed, they are working to have a pilot on on, on, on this. So I have chosen these two examples because well, 300, there are many of those. But these are examples that are close to our lives. It's the mobility is also, I mean, in comfort at home. And I think that, of course, we have this kind of directive innovation in terms of batteries and and also wave energy converters that are more related to the the generation and storage of electricity. But they seem very far away from the daily life of of the cities. So you have different examples. Interesting uh, examples you pointed
1: out uh, in um, sort of control of heat and cold and mobility. Could you just give a brief color on what Areas you're seeing uh, uh, more activity. I mean, I've, I've, uh, uh, we're here at the you know business booster event, and I've seen lots of things from algae production to 20-ton forklifts uh, powered by electrical batteries. But can you just give us a few ideas of the categories where you've seen most um,
0: activity today? One of the most vivid, let's call it, or lively feel, are batteries. This is something that it has happened in the last two years. It was not the case before. What it is happening in Europe and the world, but in, in Europe is, is really special. We are talking about creating a new market of 250 billion of euros per year. This is the economy of Denmark in the year 2025, because we need batteries if we need if we want electrification and everything related with uh, also mobility is there. So this is the new market that is okay. going to be built. And that is why we need a lot of solutions there. So especially today, that is something that it is, it is quite a, a hot topic because, uh, I mm-hmm. mean, uh, the entrepreneurs are proposing a lot of solutions and that is good. Interesting.
1: So I wanted to quote here Professor Henry Chesbra, the father of open innovation concept. He said that the future of energy will require ecosystems of collaboration between startups and big energy corporates. What do you see are the key areas of cooperation between clean tech startups and utilities? And what problems are
0: these startups helping utilities to solve? Thank you, uh, Joanna, for this question because Henry Group, this has been the father of innovations. He is a good friend, personal friend, and also friend from Inno Energy. And we have been discussing this, this topic because one of the key things in our model of, of, of supporting startups in Inno Energy is to look at the collaboration between the newcomers, the startups, and incumbents. And so that is why 90, 90% of our startups have collaborations and we manage those collaborations. So when they are collaborating, what they are looking for? On one hand, the startups help the um, utilities and the energy companies to accelerate innovation and to solve specific problems. This doesn't mean that they could not do it by themselves. They could do it. They, they have very talented people, but that would involve a lot of time so if in the portfolio they have a specific problem instead of investing time and money with their own resources in their own labs they go outside they say okay this startup is solving this problem let's start collaborating with them let's start working together and the best thing is when these business units work together with the startups in order to propose this this mm-hmm. these solutions that's number one. Second one is more a kind of exploratory Type of objectives. And it is when now um, many startups are working with utilities to explore new business models. So it's a question more about uh, risk mitigation in, the, in that sense. Sometimes the corporates, they don't want to because of their image, reputation, they don't want to try things. But in a startup, much more flexible, I mean, that's a possibility. And the third thing is because they need to innovate, they need to reinvent themselves. And that involves a very entrepreneurial spirit. So they need to learn from the startups. So sometimes people from, from these corporations, they want to spend a time working with a startup or inviting the startups to the corporations so, so that they can learn the mindset. I think that these are Three different types of collaboration. One's more practical and operational, solving a problem. The other one is more explorative, mm-hmm. trying to mitigate the risk of uh, new wider spaces that they are exploring. And the third one, it's more uh, kind of uh, so, so an organizational and culture. Right. Trying to get these competencies and, uh, and understand these values and introduce them within the organization. Mm-hmm. So on that first uh, vector, you said sort of when startups come and solve existing
1: problems of the existing business of, of the utilities, what have you seen the most
0: active areas of collaboration? What types of problems are, are they engaging with? Ooh, I mean, uh, that varies a lot. I mean, I think that, I mean, there are companies, for instance, like Enel, that it's not a specific problem. It's that they have already introduced this, um, let's say, process of collaboration with a startup with the different challenges that the, the business units faces so we work for instance with them because we help them to identify and to scout the startups that they can uh, fulfill some some of these challenges and sometimes we receive a challenge that has to do with mobility the other times is with uh, renewable energy other times so it's not so much about The topic, but it is about the mindset of their organization that they see their startup as a potential partner to solve some of the problems that they have.
1: Okay. On the element of the utilities learning a different culture from startups, how have you seen that work? So, what are the practices that actually help utilities get infected, so to speak, with the spirit of a more flexible company like a a startup? They are still on the making.
0: <laughs> I mean, the cultural, I mean, why I'm saying that? Because culture is one of the most long-term consequences of values in a company. So there is no quick shifts. So for that question, I mean, I would be happy to answer to you in some years <laughs> to see the what as then we have uh, uh, put the virus within the organization. Hopefully, yes. Right. Uh, It's interesting because I think that
1: digitalization actually is an element that has brought a thirst for innovation to utilities, which perhaps was not there before. I mean, utilities have been largely with the same business models and the same technologies for for some time. And now there is a new interest in adapting to a different world. In fact, in in a study carried by Deloitte, 95% of the power sector respondents agreed with the statement that digital transformation is a topic strategic priority at my organization. So I think large corporates in energy have embraced this as, as an important priority. But what do you still still see as, as the barriers for innovation in the energy sector and inside utilities?
0: Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, digitalization is clearly one of the major trends. We have some challenges here. Um the first one is the skills. They need new skills. So they need new people, new profiles to start working in this company. And what we are finding in some companies is uh, that there is kind of organizational clash between we they, between we that we have been working for ages in the sector and these newcomers, uh, they look young, have no idea. So it is very important that they face this topic and that they they find a solution because both type of skills are needed. The ones that they know about the the business and the new ones. And then the second thing is that there is a, a skills crisis. I mean, these profiles, they don't want to go to work to this type of companies because they prefer to work with the startups because it's one of the interesting things is that the Maslow pyramid in terms of motivation to work for the young people, they have, it, it changed. It's not any more stability and a good salary. Now they want purpose. They want a meaning in their work. So they have a, a, a serious problem here. Nice. The other thing that they have about innovation is that uh, the other two challenges is that digitalization also implies considering the role of the consumer and that is what we are we are using in energy besides the TRL we are using the CRL, which is the consumer readiness level. And this means that not only the technology is important, but also the lifestyles of the consumer, the habit, the routines, and what we need to change them. Or if the technology is going to change those, those lifestyles. And is something that we have to take into account. And this means that then the typical innovation teams of these companies need to change. They need to be more diverse. They need to include people that like social scientists, like anthropologists, or socialists, that know about it. So it, we need engineers working with uh, other, other social scientists' profiles. We, we need, need more diverse teams, uh, more diverse uh, with, teams more women with different ages, different nationalities. We need more diverse teams with different ages, different nationalities, because we need this input You have, 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 have the creative abrasion that challenge. is needed to innovate. And this is a challenge, because usually the traditional uh, energy company was very homogeneous. And it, it, there was a reason. It was... a uh, very traditional business, no changes, which uh, basically based on assets. Mm-hmm. And that model
1: worked. Yes, it was more also execution than innovation. And that model worked for that time. But today, that is a different story. So attracting and retaining talent and bringing in diversity to create more, uh, more disruption. So you mentioned here how utilities used to be based on owning assets. And for a long time, the incumbents had have that. They owned large assets or and or they were regulated monopolies. We have not yet seen attackers from the tech world posing a real challenge to the energy
0: incumbents. Do you believe that this is yet to come? I think that, the, uh, I think that uh, nowadays, especially in Europe, the pressure of the incumbents is huge. The only thing is the question of time frame. I mean, we have a problem here. The problem is that we have to take decisions to date for tomorrow. But the person who is taking this decision is not going to see the effect of it. So a CEO of these companies, I mean, probably he's going to retire in five years, something like that. If we start with these kind of changes, some of the results are not going to happen tomorrow. They will need time. So you as a person, what would you do? Some of them, they prefer, oh, let's don't touch anything. We still, we have a cow here, a cash flow cow. Yeah. So let's go on. Probably when there is the problem, I will not be there. And that is interesting because they are not the guilty ones. I mean, usually these companies, they have shareholders. And the shareholders, they should be much more responsible also of what type of companies and what type of values, they, they, what, they, what type of impact these companies are having. Because, of course, I can understand this CEO of the company and say, okay, why I should now start uh, fighting against my shareholders to say, hey, perhaps you're not going to receive so much dividends, but we are working for the future. So I think that everybody here has a, a piece it's of a, responsibility. It's a
1: trade-off in the, in the time horizons. Um, but we have seen, I think, already in the retail segment of the value chain, there's more attackers, more competition. But do you think that it's only a matter of time that also in... Uh, generation, transmission, distribution, um, commercialization. Are we going to see across the value chain in energy or perhaps in other businesses that might come like digital platforms?
0: Do you think that? I this think that we are in a complete kind of revolution. Mm-hmm. The only thing is that I don't know. I mean, I don't have the crystal balls to see how we are going to finish. But we have, uh, I mean, now some competitors are called Google or Cisco.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> so this was completely, completely new. Uh, you have the oil and gas companies. They are reinventing themselves because I think that they should reinvent themselves. They have a role to play here in the energy transition. But the traditional business doesn't work. doesn't work in terms of reputation because indeed it is an, an, a profitable business. And so I think that in the retail it's changing, but it's changing in many, many spheres. And that is, the, probably that is the interesting thing. And that is why it is a, a field today which is fruitful for startups. Because they need to test different solutions, and these startups can offer flexible solutions. So I wanted to touch on another angle, which is finance. As you know, in two thousand eighteen,
1: Bill Gates, uh, Jeff Bezos, and a number of other billionaires announced the investment in energy startups committed to cutting carbon emissions and harnessing resources more efficiently through a one billion U.S. dollar fund. Do you believe that this will be a trend in uh, investing and? Do you think that are there examples already of funds that have been channeling uh, significant amounts of, of capital
0: to these purposes? I like this this question because this is the Breakthrough Energy uh, Ventures. I mean, they are part of our VC community. Indeed, they are here. They are studying some of our cases in order to invest because specifically that is what they are they are looking for. I mean, of course, Bill Gates Foundation and other billionaires. I mean, this is very important in terms of marketing, but it, this was not the first fund. I mean, uh, in the year 2017, there is called Climate Action 100 Plus. Together, I mean, this is a fund of nearly 34 trillion. You have others, global investor coalition on climate change. So there are different initiatives. And I think that this is something that some years ago they started in this area, which is the impact investing. Something in the U.S. very common, not common in Europe. Indeed, we are working on, on that. And it's the idea that we need patient investors And it is a question of investing money, yes, but doing good also. And I think that this is very relevant and it is connected with the previous questions. I mean, today there are some pension funds that they are looking for investments in green products Mm -hmm. because... It's part of their mandate. Yes, it's part of the mandate because the savers, uh, us, that we are putting also money in in banks and, and we say, no, we don't want... Brown assets. We want to invest to, to invest the money, but doing good. And I think that that's fantastic. I think that this is a kind of, of of model. Of course, they should. I mean, these these people should give example. I think that it is very important that we have role models that say, okay, we are going to invest on on this on these uh, solutions, but also anonymous people. Like you and me, when we go to the pension funds, when we go to our bank, and there are, for instance, banks today, like IB Amro, for instance, that they are not, in, they are not uh, financing uh, coal plants anymore. I think that these are good signals, that uh, this is becoming a kind of, of global topic.
1: So to end our interview, I'd like to ask you some rapid-fire questions that you can answer with just one or two words or take a wild guess. Zero-carbon
0: Europe by 2050. Myth or reality? Mary Robinson has said, I am prisoner of hope. (laughs) So, reality.
1: (laughs) The future of storage, batteries or power to gas? But there is. What year will see the last internal combustion engine vehicle sold in Europe?
0: I don't know if it it is going to be the last one, but uh, it's going to be like a, a, a milestone and it's going to be 2029.
1: What will be the percentage of power generated by prosumers in 2050? Less than expected. The main challenge for utilities in the next decade is... Skills. And our final question. Do you believe that the Paris Agreement goal of keeping the increase in global average temperature to well below 2 degrees, or indeed 1.5 degrees, above pre-industrial level will be attained, and if yes, by what date? This is a very complicated question.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a crystal ball. And you know why I don't like to do this kind of predictions? Because who is going to come to me in the year, whatever, to think? I mean, and this is a personal thing. I don't like to do predictions because this is something that economists do, but they do very far away. So, I mean, the predictions, when, when they come, nobody comes back to the person after... 20 years ago. You said 20 years ago that this was going to happen. Not a prediction, more of, more of a personal belief if you think we're on track to coming uh, to I think, the goal. I think that we are on track because that is what we have been talking That I think that there is a, um, the whole value chains and the whole society and the whole many actors from different spheres. I think that in this game, we are aligned. We are trying to be aligned. There's still room for improvement, but we are trying. So... I think that we will something good should happen. But when, that is not a story. Elena, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Joanna.
1: Next time on Net Zero. My point is that definitely more renewable energy means more uh, energy security, particularly for Europe. Thank you for tuning into Net Zero. You can catch new episodes, subscribe, and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts.